Well, it just goes to show you that you don't have to sing I'm happy today to be happy today, apparently. So that's great. I love the kids. I love it when they're up here. I love the parents. Um, they're just doing such a tremendous, incredible job raising these wonderful, happy, fun kids. And we pray for you uh, constantly, of course. Today is the end of that sermon series from the book of Philippians that we mentioned with the kids a moment ago. We've been several weeks in the book of Philippians, and today we'll be in chapter 4 in the last part of that great book. And I've entitled this series, Living a Joyful Life, and that's J-O-Y-F-U-L-L. I realize it's not the way you spell joyful, but because we are Christians, we should live lives that are full of joy, right? Some of us are not sure or... Right, yeah, of course, we are to live happy lives, joyful lives, as we're going to see, as we saw last week. It's actually commanded that we rejoice in the Lord always. I'm not sure that you can command people to be happy, but Paul certainly seems to think that you can because that's exactly what he does. We have been talking about living a joyful life. And we've been kind of looking at the, the answer to the question, how do, you, how do you do that? How do we do that today in this crazy, mixed up world that's priorities have just gone crazy? Things are weird and they seem to be getting weirder by the day. We, we just seem so anxious and fearful about everywhere that we are. And then we turn to the New Testament and we hear Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And we're thinking, well... I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. And that's where all these words from the book of Philippians come and help us, including this last section. As Paul closes his letter to the Philippians, he thanks them for the joyful partnership in his ministry. And I think there are a couple of parts of that statement, joyful partnership in his ministry, that we struggle with. One is the joyful part, <laughs> being actually joyful at a time in a place where things are hard and things are difficult and we look to the future and we're not sure they're going to get any better and we kind of think that they may even get worse. So how can we be joyful? And then that second part, partnership in his ministry. Philippians talks a lot about the partnership in ministry that Paul shared with the church at Philippi in modern day Greece. And we're going to see that again in this last passage. And so as Paul closes out this wonderful letter of joy and a call to rejoice, he is grateful to them for their joyful partnership in his ministry. And so you think, oh great, Bill, this is going to be a sermon about giving, right? Well, not really. Not per se. It is about giving, but not really. It's about the principles that are behind our giving. The principles that the church at Philippi demonstrated. It's interesting that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he tells them the kind of attitude that they need to have behind their gifts so that they will give as God would have them to. Cheerfully, generously, with great faith and trust in the Lord. He doesn't do that with the Philippians. Why is that? Because they were already doing that. They already believed those things. They already had that attitude. They were already giving to the Apostle Paul. 
In fact, in his second mission journey, he goes by Philippi and he starts the church there. And one of their wonderful members, Lydia, has them, the missionary team of Paul, Timothy, and Silas, into her home and says, well, you'll stay with me while you're here. And then when he goes from there and he goes over to Thessalonica, the church at Philippi sends him financial help for his mission journey. So this had been a characteristic of this great church from the get-go, from the very start. They had been great givers. Why is that? Because they had all these attitudes that we're hearing about throughout this wonderful book. So the passage is not about giving. So what is it about, Bill? Well, first of all, this passage is about contentment. Contentment. That's a hard word for us today, and it shouldn't be. We have more than anybody ever has had. Generally speaking, as a general population, as 21st century Americans, we have so much more, and yet we still are not content. Philippians chapter 4, reading verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me. We know Philippians 4.13, right? We use it a lot, and rightly so. But this morning, we get the chance to be able to hear it and see it in its immediate context. When the words were first written down in inspired Scripture... I agree with Stan. I think a lot of the things that we read about in Scripture that that Paul said to the Corinthians or that Paul says here to the Philippians, he said that to everyone. I think including that verse. And I think including this whole context. This passage is uh, is not about giving. It's more about contentment. Paul could be content in the hard times as well as the good times. As when Paul gathered together with those elders from Ephesus at Miletus. And he talked to them and told them, I I, I may not ever see you again. I'm I'm going to Jerusalem. I I know it's going to be hard. I'm not sure what awaits me. And sure enough, in Jerusalem, he was arrested by the Jews, turned over to the Romans, and ended up in Rome waiting for his appeal to Caesar, the supreme court of the day as to whether he should live or die. And it was in that setting that he writes the book of Philippians. And yet in the midst of all of that suffering, all of that anxiety, all of that not knowing what's ahead that he had alluded to in chapter 1, he says, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm content. I've learned to be content whatever, wherever. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. A lot of scriptures on the outline that have to do with that. One of the most interesting ones that is kind of a surprise to me every time I read it is from Proverbs 13, where the Proverbs 30 rather, where the wise man prays, Lord, don't let me have too much or too little. Don't let me have so much that I don't think I need you and I become self-reliant. 
But also don't let me have too little, so much so that I'm tempted to steal. We're reminded that there are temptations in all aspects. All of these verses give us a couple of principles regarding material things. Number one, trust God, not money. Trust God, not money. When we trust in our money rather than in our God, that's called idolatry. That's called breaking the first of the Ten Commandments, which is you shall have no other gods before me. And so we are called upon to be content. And to be content, we have to trust God, not money, not job, not savings, not any of those things. And secondly, we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. As Stan said, we have come in possession of some things uh, just like the Corinthians had, just like the Ephesians had, just like the Philippians have. But we recognize that we're stewards of those things. We don't own them. It's not that God owns the part that you gave today or this week and you own the rest. God owns it all. And we're trying to do God's work to God's glory with all of it. And specifically, some of the areas of ministry within the church. We are stewards, not owners. So we count our many blessings and we name them what? One by one. Write them out. Write them out. If you think things are really hard on you and God has forgotten all about you, then start making a list of your blessings. I have a feeling that you'll run out of paper. I love this quote from Rick Ashley. Most think happiness leads to gratefulness, but it's actually the other way around. Happiness doesn't lead to gratitude. Gratitude leads to happiness. And the same is true of contentment. Happiness is not based on the things that we have. We become contented in trusting in the Lord. And because of that, We are able to rejoice in the Lord always. Just like that great song that Logan led us in. We count our many blessings and we name them one by one. Verse 12, Paul says, I know the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And so we want to ask, what is it? What is it, Paul? What's the secret? And he tells us in verse 13, I can do all things, what? Through Christ. Who strengthens me. You want to know the secret of being content? It's that. It's recognizing that whatever you have, whether it's a lot or a little, you can be content in Jesus Christ. And the first time that those words were written in Scripture, it was talking about material needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think that's a great Scripture to remember and apply to whatever difficult thing you're going through, whatever that might be. But remember, initially... It said, I can get through this financial time, whether it's a lot or a little. I can do all things through him, Christ, who gives me strength. The question is, can you? We would all say that we believe Philippians 4.13, but can you? Can you do all things through Christ who strengthens me? One of the things about our giving is I think that it is a measurement of how much we actually really do trust in the Lord. Paul was thinking about his daily bread and he's talking about contentment. And so in Philippians 4, the question is, can I be content without blank? And you fill in the blank. What do I put there, Bill? What have you been praying about lately? 
What have you been praying for lately? Put that in there. Can you be content without that? As we talked about in our Bible class this morning, can you pray, thy will be done? Answer this prayer with a yes or no. Up to you, God. Either way, I'm your child. Either way, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can you be content without that? We'll sing in just a few moments. My hope is built on nothing less than what? My bank account. The fact that everybody likes me. The fact that I'm in good health. The fact that I have lots of friends. The fact that church is going great. Where's Rusty? Rusty, we had a, we had a, a band director uh, when Joyce and I were seniors in high school in San Antonio. And every day he would say, how's band going, huh? And no matter what else was happening, we were supposed to answer, great. <laughs> Can I be content without that? Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not on all these other things that I might pray for, that I might feel I need, that are important. But they're not the source of my joy. They're not the source of my contentment. In our staff meetings, we have devotional times that are led by our, our full-time, our different ministers and uh, full and part-time. And Tucker was leading this month, and he's leading it from Psalm 23, and that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he says, he said Tuesday, because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be content. Is that true of you? Or do you need something more? This passage is about contentment. Secondly, this passage is about partnership. Verses 14 through 20 of Philippians 4. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles... Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, a member of the church at Philippi, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. To our glory, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. The Philippians had helped Paul, and because of that, he had called them his partners in ministry. And the word there is fellowship. It's that word koinonia. It's the word we typically translate fellowship. And he said, we were partners. We had fellowship in this ministry. You were very much involved in all of the good that I did because you helped make it happen. And the same is true today. The Philippians lived out the teaching of 2 Corinthians 8 9, that long passage that talks a lot about some of the principles that Paul lays out here. They lived it. As God provided for Paul, so would he provide for the Philippians. That was his message to them, and so will he provide for us. This passage is about contentment, this passage is about partnership in ministry. Finally today, this passage is about fellowship. 
these words that close out this great book in Philippians 4, verses 21 through 23. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, probably in Rome, send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Remember, he's writing this likely from Rome, likely under house arrest, described in Acts chapter 28. And so he refers to the brothers and sisters. These are his fellow workers, such as Timothy. He also speaks of all God's people here. These are the holy ones, the saints is the term. It's an adjective used as a noun, holy ones in the plural. Christians, very much alive, very much there where he was. All of the people here. He says, send you greetings. It's that wider circle of believers. And so I urge you to read Eric's article in the bulletin today because it's taken from Hebrews 10 and it talks about this very thing. The fellowship that we have that is best seen when we're at church together. And that's why we need to be here. That's why they were there. Can you imagine how important it was for the Christians that were a part of the church at Rome to go to church, to meet together? It should be just that important for us. And then he mentions Caesar's household. Likely is not some of the higher ups in in the Roman government, although it could be. But perhaps some of the soldiers or servants or slaves that were there that worked specifically with uh, the emperor and for the emperor. And some of these Christians that were a part of that church at Rome had made the two-day journey one way to meet Paul when he was on his way there. They walked for two days just to meet him in southern Italy after his ship had landed. And then they turned around and walked two days back with him. That's fellowship. Would you walk two days one way to be with someone, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then turn around and walk two days back with them? This passage is about fellowship. So as we close out this series, a few finishing thoughts. Philippians is an epistle of joy. And it gives us great insight into how to live a joyful life today. We've seen that throughout. And it's not about what you have. It's about who has you. And so he says, rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's that Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And again, it's an an imperative. He doesn't give us permission to not rejoice. We are to rejoice always. Just as we said last week, be joyful, be prayerful, thrive in God's peace. Earlier in chapter 4. And I love this quote. In Philippians, joy is a continuous, defiant, nevertheless. (laughs) It's a continuous, defiant, nevertheless. And I hope you'll remember this from this sermon today. What exactly does that mean? Well, it's a quote from uh, Karl Barth in his commentary on Philippians. In Philippians, joy is a defiant, nevertheless. You see, biblical joy doesn't deny the difficulties. It doesn't pretend that there's not bad things happening or that there's not more around the corner. It never pretends that. It acknowledges the reality of the suffering, but it doesn't stop there. It says, nevertheless, yes, Satan looks like he's in control. Nevertheless, I will have joy. 
Yes, there's all kinds of fears and anxiety in my life about where we're going and what we're headed and what the doctor's going to say and who's going to win the next election. Nevertheless, I will have joy. And that's that defiant nevertheless. It's defiance in the face of Satan himself that looks at him and says, you cannot take away my joy. You will not define my life. You will not be the deciding factor as to whether I have peace and joy in my life. That job is taken. Yes, there are things that are hard. Yes, there are things that are difficult. And they may get worse before they get better. Nevertheless, nevertheless, whatever that looks like, I will rejoice. How can we do that? That's the rest of that great verse in Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice what? In the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. My friends, that's the only way. You can rejoice always. And that is in the Lord. Because the circumstances are going to change. Sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes not so good. Always, if you are in the Lord, you can rejoice. What does that mean? It means you come to believe in Jesus Christ. That he came from heaven, that he died on the cross, that he was raised from the grave, and that that tomb is empty, and that he's coming again. You believe. It means you repent, which means change. You look at the sinfulness of your life, and you look to God, and you ask him to forgive. Just like Paul prayed and fasted for three days after seeing the Lord when he went into Damascus. You repent. You make that confession. You say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus came and lived and died for me and that he's coming again. I believe. That's that confession. And then fourthly, you are baptized into Jesus Christ. You die to sin. You're buried with Christ through baptism into Jesus Christ. And you're raised to live a new life in Jesus Christ. And that new life is rejoicing. It's a life of joy. Rejoicing in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Why? Because we can do everything through Christ who gives us strength. My hope is built on nothing less, nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. If that's not you today and we can help you get there, come as we stand, sing this great old hymn.